welcome to Take Flight with me, Mark Whittle, and welcome back to the second instalment of this Take Flight and Mana Gym collaboration, where my friends at Mana launched their brand new space, MCP, a one of a kind gym space designed to build mental toughness and resilience. And in honor of the launch of MCP, 24 participants took part in 24 workouts over the time of 24 hours. It was insane and it was a pleasure to be involved and sit down with five amazing people to hear their stories and hear why they wanted to get involved, the kind of struggles and obstacles they've overcome in their lives and also hear about the fantastic achievements they've accomplished in their lives. I hope you all enjoyed my chat with the amazing Charlie Green last week, co-founder of The Office Group and someone who has impacted so many before doing this podcast episode and now thankfully has impacted so many more i got loads of messages from people saying how charlie's advice had really helped them so thank you for those and i'm so pleased you enjoyed it so on the night of the mcp launch immediately after speaking with charlie at the event i sat down with another really impressive individual the guest for episode 45 of the take flight podcast is zoe williams zoe has an incredible story a large part of her childhood was dedicated to synchronized swimming where zoe found a passion and a talent but sadly just missed out on a spot in Team GB for the London 2012 Olympics. As so many of us do, she found herself looking for the next thing at a little bit of a crossroads and Zoe turned to the military, joining the Royal Navy where she aspired to build a lifelong career. But just four and a half years into life in the Navy, Zoe was medically discharged. All of a sudden, Zoe hits another crossroad in her life, coming across a number of different challenges, but in 2016 she won four medals at the Orlando Invictus Games, three of which were gold. The Invictus Games gave Zoe a new lease of life and allowed her to shake that negative mindset she'd adopted about her own ability since suffering with injury. I love this chat with Zoe. We spoke about things that I think so many people will be able to relate to. For example, when suffering with either physical or mental challenges, we try to control as much as possible around us. Zoe also opened up about how exercise and nutrition became almost obsessive for her before she finally decided to seek help and advice. And that now she's grown from that experience has become very aware of what her mind and body needs. And it's such a great message for people who might be suffering with the same thing. I know personally I use exercise to make me feel better, to help me when I'm struggling. There are certainly times when it can become too much the other way and become slightly obsessive. So it was really eye-opening and really refreshing actually to hear that Zoe had gone through this. Without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this episode with the four-time Invictus Games medalist Zoe Williams. Enjoy. Zoe. Hello. Welcome to the Take Flight Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for sitting down with me. Appreciate it. My pleasure. So we are here at Manor. We're in the boxing ring here, sitting down recording this podcast. What have you been doing for the last, what has it been, an hour? Two? Yeah, last uh, hour two, and a half. Hour and a half. Yeah. So the first two workouts of uh, Manor's 24 and 24. Uh, so 24 workouts in 24 hours with 24 p- participants. God, that's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> Um, what were you doing what were the first two so the first two the first one was in teams of three or four and it was um, a dedication to uh, Charlie the founder's uh, uncle which I think given the charity that they're raising money for yeah. is um, it's really touching to that he's kind of trusted us to, to pay respect yeah. but it was um, either a ski or a run for a, a certain distance uh, 100 meters each person and then um, swapping around in a relay and it was good just to meet people um, I've not trained at Manor before but everyone's been so so welcoming oh really it's the first time yeah first time down here um, incredible space yeah um, and just fabulous people yeah like great community 
the guys are awesome, yeah. And it was actually Charlie's brother, Louis, who's an absolute ledge as well, who told me that his uncle passed away. So, so I think it's a really nice way to start it off, wasn't it? Yeah, really, really touching mm. and special to, to be able to take part in that. And then the second one was into good old Cindy CrossFit uh, workout. Beautiful. So, my hands were a little bit sore from the pull-ups. <laughs> and that was my fault, actually, because you were supposed to be the first one, mate. I know. <laughs> I wasn't meant to do two. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> all right. I'll forgive you. So, Zoe, do you want to give us a little bit of a kind of brief backstory on who you are? We're going to get into more of your story, but sure. if you give us kind of a little bit of a backstory and then we'll dive into some more details on the way. Sure. So, um, as a child, I started off as a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, but um, swimming and gymnastics and ballet and... Um, I think all of that led down the path of synchronized swimming. Uh, so I was a synchronized swimmer from seven till the age of about 18, at uh, which point I had to make the tough decision whether to try and pursue synchronized swimming as a career and go to the Olympics or whether to um, move on and take the positive memories of everything that I'd achieved. So I swam for GB Juniors um, and decided that that was, that was my fill of synchronized swimming and I was going to join the Navy joined the Navy and see the world um, and I quite soon after joining was struggled a lot with um, lower leg injuries and back injuries and um, I managed to finish my training uh, but can unfortunately have the career that I thought I was going to have in the Navy um, and that was a really tough time because actually I, the Navy was going to be my career that was what I had planned to do for 30 40 years um, and that was not going to be possible probably in hindsight looking back let that rule how I lived my life and didn't look after myself stopped training fell out of love with being fit and being active and used being injured as an excuse and a reason why I didn't train and fell off the bandwagon and when it became clear that I couldn't carry on with my career it was at that point where I thought to myself actually stop feeling sorry for yourself engage and do something positive get back on the bandwagon and kind of power forward um and so i i started training i joined the joe wicks movement Mm -hmm. uh before he took off and became big time Uh, i've still got some emails from him in my (laughs) inbox (laughs) which is quite funny um and that was the beginning really of i suppose my transition out of the military and into civilian life but also the start of what has been a relatively long journey but one that I'm still powering along to turning my life around and working out what being my best self and training and being an athlete means to me Um, and I was really fortunate that as part of that transition I had the opportunity to compete at the Invictus Games in Orlando in 2016 which was one of the most incredible experiences and a gift that just keeps on giving. So I'm here tonight because of the Invictus Games. I was invited to come and take part because of that. Oh, um, through who? Through, I think, um, the guys got in touch with um, the, the Invictus Games Foundation, okay. so the charity that own Invictus, oh, um, and said, was there anyone that wanted to come down and take part? Everything from Invictus forward, I've always said yes to every single opportunity that's come my way and have had the opportunity to do some of the most incredible things. Yeah. Um, sit on BBC Breakfast, talk on the news, be in glamour online, 
all sorts of crazy things uh, and pinch yourself moments that you just would not ever imagine and well, that's so great because they often do come from dark patches or times when you feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel so yeah what, what, totally. what a great message and yeah that's yeah. awesome to hear Look, there's so many things i want to ask you about that yeah <laughs> yeah sure like real lots of most amazing <laughs> list of things that happened so first one is an easy one where did you grow up so i grew up in portsmouth okay so surrounded by the navy yeah, although you've answered the second question why navy? <laughs> <laughs> well surrounded by it or they're not from a naval family um my so I swam at the Navy training pool, in mm. fact, um, and I had a lot of family friends who were in the Navy and was very, very fortunate that I had a couple of opportunities to go to sea on ships. At, I guess during that, those formative years when you're trying to work out what you want to do with your life. And so when I was about 13, I spent the day on the Solent and they wow. went to town, let me drive around for a wow. while and did some firefighting and all sorts of fun things that perhaps weren't entirely representative no. of day-to-day -day life <laughs> at sea uh, and then sales pitch, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and then the same again just after I'd finished my GCSEs I flew to Menorca and came back to Portsmouth uh, so I was on board for 10 days and nice. that was again a pretty um, go-to-town sales pitch yeah. so where's Portsmouth in comparison to South Sea because my grandparents yeah. lived in South Sea and I've got really fond memories of going down there doing a lot of the historical stuff around um, the ports and stuff like that as well. So South Sea is a suburb of Portsmouth. Okay. So Portsmouth's the island and then South Sea's a little mm. enclave within nice. it. Such a nice like, part of the world though, isn't it? It's beautiful. And my parents are still down there and it's one of those escapes for me to get out of London and out yeah. of the city and go down. Just, I don't even have to go and see the sea. I just know that it's there. Yeah. And it's a change of air and change of pace as well. So big. I think I've spoken about this before, like how water has such an impact on us positively. Like it's just such an amazing feeling. It's even more so when you're in the sea versus the pool. Even being in the pool is a nice feeling, yeah. but the sea just has something about it, the energy. Yeah. And even just walking alongside it and smelling. It is weird to say that it has a smell, but I think it does. Yeah. And, he, and the sound as well, it's that monot semi-monotonous mm. backwards and forwards calming, of the, the waves coming up the pebbles. Yeah. It's really, really calming. Yeah, that grounding feeling as well. Like, even at the weekend, it, this is not the, a sea story, but <laughs> <laughs> at the weekend I just went to the, I, I was very tired because I went out in the week which I, I'm trying to do School less and less. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I went to just one of the parks that are close to me, took my dog and just like lay on the grass for like two hours. Just took, like, took a book with me, just chilled. And you, again, you just get like a calming feeling of being yeah. grounded when you're in nature. But Okay, cool. So Portsmouth. Portsmouth. So you started to, to let's try that again. You started to do your swimming in, which pool was it? Uh, so it was HMS Tamara is okay. the Navy swimming pool. Amazing. Yeah. And then how did you then move from you know, your typical swimming into getting into synchronized swimming? So hilariously, my parents didn't like the idea of getting up at 5 a.m., which is normal lane swimming training times. They decided that they weren't really keen on that idea, no, no, no. which <laughs> now I completely understand <laughs> when they work full days. Uh, and synchronized swimming training generally happens in the evening and at the weekend. So they took me down to the local club and threw me in at the deep end. And I think... I mean, they would have given me the option of going back to lane swimming, but actually it's far more interesting doing synchronized swimming than going up and down in a straight line for hours on end. That's so funny though, because if they just had the class on at a different time or the lesson at a different yeah. time. Yeah. 
it would have been completely different. Yeah, interesting. It's those those things that change your your direction in life. So the way the cookie crumbles. So something I'm interested in is like with synchronized swimming. It's something I don't know much about at all. But we spoke a lot about breathing techniques and the way that we can use our breath to be again talking about calming properties and things that help you get calmer and reduce anxiety, reduce stress. Obviously, there's a lot of breath holds and stuff in in synchronized swimming. How how do you even learn to do that, and what are like the sort of things that you do to make sure? Because there's quite a lot of risk associated with that as well, right? I've only passed out once. Okay, tell, <laughs> tell me about that. Um, yeah, you're completely right that it's something you build up over time, and from a young age, you build in breath holding drills, and there's a lot of technique to synchronize swimming. It is made, it's meant to look effortless, and actually underwater, you're pretty frantic Mm. and you do a lot of drills where you will swim lengths and lengths underwater with very little rest and actually it's predominantly psychological it's that reflex that says to you you need to take a breath which is actually just a build up of co2 that is making you physically have the i want to breathe reaction and if you can train your brain to push past that and to hold your breath for longer you build that kind of resilience to it over time yeah that's amazing so i spoke about again on here how i do cold water exposure in the shower ah no way yeah but i couple it with wim hof breathing okay so i do like the breath holds and you get that kind of gag reflex which is interesting i didn't realize it was because of a build-up of co2 yeah so I couple that with the cold exposure. So the cold exposure is then adding that secondary acute stress to you. But you're uh, releasing norepinephrine, which is basically allows you to reduce your levels of cortisol. How interesting. Yeah, so the cortisol levels is what's built up over time through stress. stress. Um, so yeah, the norepinephrine is what allows you to reduce that, which is like a really powerful thing to do. But if you hold your breath too far, you pass out. So how did that happen? <laughs> It was during a training camp and I think as a semi-arrogant 17-year-old who didn't want to be the first person to come up when you're in a team of 16 people training for a place on the GB team, you hold your breath for as long as is physically possible (laughs) and sometimes that's just a little bit too long. I say I passed out, I kind of blacked out and you kind of begin to sink and someone grabs hold of you and fishes you back to the surface but you're surrounded by people and there are coaches on poolside watching you so I think most synchronized swimmers have probably had similar experiences part of the qualification of being a true synchronized swimmer and lots of broken toes and kicked shins and kicked in the face all sorts (laughs) it's It's a great spot (laughs) (laughs) okay awesome so then you made that massive decision to leave that, leave the dreams and, and the ambitions that you had within the sport to go into the military. So how did you make that decision? For me, it was one of those turning points where I looked back on everything that I'd achieved as a synchronized swimmer, and I had such fond memories of everything that I'd achieved up till that point. And I, it's a small community, synchronized swimming, and the coaches are actually very very honest about realistic chances of qualifying and getting a place on the team and I knew it was going to be a real uphill battle 
synchronized swimming is such an aesthetic sport and I am vertically challenged, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And I have particularly short legs in comparison to a lot of the other girls. So I, I knew it would be, it would be really, really hard to even get a place. Okay. And it was that actually I've had such an incredible run. I'm so grateful for everything up until this point. Mm. I want to remember those fond memories nice. and draw a line in the sand and move on gracefully. So the decision came from a place of gratitude. That's, not, that's really nice. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Not like quitting, throwing the towel in. Oh, I can't do this. It was like, a, oh, I really enjoyed my time doing this. So almost like time for a new challenge. 100%. Yeah. yeah. It was my, my time here is done. And what was the next chapter? Mm. And how long did you spend in the Navy? So all in all, it was about four and a half years okay. um, from joining until I was medically discharged. And what was the injury that you had? So I have a disc bulge on one of my discs in my lumbar spine. And for 95% of people that might have one, they may be kind of asymptomatic. And I think the circumstances of romping around on Dartmoor with big backpacks on, followed by being at sea on moving ships, which rock backwards and forwards and up and down and then have ladders to get everywhere, um, just meant that, I suffered quite a lot with pain both in my lower legs and in my back. And it was probably more the environment than the injury itself yeah. that was the problem. And now I generally can manage pain as long as I don't do anything stupid, mm. like crazy deadlifts, um, without too many problems. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm interested to know a little bit more about your time in the Navy because I recently read a book called Thirst. I don't know if you've oh, heard it by no, a guy called Scott Harrison. Here's his story of basically building a charity. Um, he went through a process. He ran a nightclub. Mm -hmm. He went through a process of becoming enlightened to what he really wanted to do. And he wanted to give fresh water to as many people in the world as possible. So this is the kind of basis of the story. But as part of this story, he spent a lot of time on ships, um, like months at a time, and talked about living in little cabins within the ships and how that's obviously quite that's difficult living conditions. Mm -hmm. So... What was your kind of longest stint on a ship and what were the kind of living conditions and what did you go through? Yeah, I think probably the one that stands out in my mind was I spent about nine months up in Scotland on um, some of the mine hunters that look after the seas around up there, um, predominantly for the submarine fleet. Yeah. And I was the only girl on board a ship of about 40 guys. So... That in itself, I mean, and then I was still going through training. So you get all of the stick for the fact that you're really young. You're the only girl. You're not yet qualified, even though you're an officer. So you can't actually tell anyone what to do. Mm. Um, and when you're away and you're stood on the bridge of a ship at 4 a.m. in the morning and everyone's really fed up, the stories that you hear are things that you only imagine people talk about <laughs> and that actually go on and I think it can go one of two ways you can either pretend that you're still a girl and be really squeamish about it and then struggle to integrate with everyone or you can kind of throw the being a girl out the window and just be done with it and get on with life yeah. and actually that was the way I went and I had a really really great time you kind of after a couple of weeks the lads warm to you and you just you just get on with it yeah you 
got to learn to accept the fact that you're in the minority and yeah. actually it doesn't matter. Did it toughen you up? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went to an all-girls school as well, <laughs> followed by synchronized swimming being an all-girls sport <laughs> predominantly. <laughs> so <laughs> joining the Navy was a bit of a shock to the system. <laughs> what were the sleeping conditions like? So I was lucky, because, lucky in one sense because I was the only girl. I got a room to myself. Nice. But... That meant that my room was at the very top of the ship. So it swayed backwards and forwards a lot. Really? You get seasick at the beginning? I did, yeah. And I do still get seasick. Uh, so I have to look at the horizon quite a lot. Well, uh, you never get used to it. Like you, 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 do, you do get used to it. Um, but it's one of those where if you go back to sea, it takes a few days to get mm. your sea legs back. And then when you come off the ship, it's all a bit disconcerting about hang on I'm not actually moving anymore huh. you don't realise when you're walking around that the ship is swaying and yeah, you you're bracing huh. even just walking down a corridor would you have like anxiety before going on a trip on, on sea because you knew you were going to be sick for a few days I think a little bit but you're often so busy that it's you, you don't really have time to think about it yeah. pop some seasickness tablets and yeah. get on with it <laughs> I think that's that's the military way, isn't it? Just put your head down and plough on. Yeah. Um, which, in some situations, is great. Yeah. And then in others, probably leads to all yeah. sorts of challenges. That's interesting. So obviously, a lot of the stuff that we're doing tonight at 24 and 24 is with Rock to Recovery. Um, you know, MANA stands for, uh, and stands up for a lot of mental health and, and spreads the message really well. I love the way that guys do it. So did you have anything with that? Like, you know, we're talking about almost hiding emotions a little bit. Did you have any thing like that? Like, did you feel like you couldn't maybe share your emotions as much when you were in those situations? I think when you're on board, especially in when it was me and I was the only girl, I did find it quite hard. And a lot of my close female Navy friends were all at the same stage of training as I was. So they were all away. As, and that was difficult because I didn't always have a female outlet yeah. to talk to. Um, but at the time I was probably in a good enough place that actually you get on with it and you do just plough on there have been times since when I think I've probably taken the military approach of get your head down and just power through and everything yeah. will be alright which doesn't always pan out the way you think yeah what would you say to people who might have been in the military as well who were suffering or struggling at the minute? The biggest thing that I've learned is that there is absolutely no shame, that you should be proud of what you've achieved, but more than anything, know that no one will ever judge you for whatever you're going through and that there are so many people that will drop everything to help you mm. that all you need to do is ask for help and someone will help you yeah amazing such a difficult thing to do though it's in incredibly difficult and it took me a long long time yeah it took in fact a friend saying to me zoe there's something really really wrong and i don't think i can continue to be friends with you wow. um unless you get help hmm. and was was it the injury that drove you to that place yeah, well, in a roundabout circumstance, so I was injured and stopped looking after myself, stopped training, and 
as I was then going through this transition of leaving the military and not knowing what on earth was going to happen next, having thought the military was going to be my forever career, mm. I clung on to the one thing that I knew I could control, and that was fitness and diet. And it took over my life to the extent that I can just pop into a pret and grab a sandwich. I was relentless in training, tracking, food. I didn't have an off switch. Mm. Um, and that was the point at which I realized that I had used something that actually was very positive during my transition, the control of food and exercise. It gave me a relatively safe place and something that I could control and it just became obsessive. Yeah. Wow. So fascinating though, because these things become addictive. You know, you talk about drugs, people are using that as escapism because, you know, they can forget about their worries, forget about whatever it is that they're suffering with. Obviously that's coming from a negative place, but then you can, it goes the other way as well, right? From exercise can become addictive and dieting can become addictive. Was it very strict like calorie counting that you were doing or what, what, what was the sort of things you were doing day to day when you were in that time? It was calorie counting, it was training, it was not letting myself just sit down and switch off and you talked about going and lying in the park at the weekend. I, I couldn't sit still. If I sat in my flat, I would twitch and I'd think to myself, I'm wasting time, I should be doing something. And part of that was I should be going to a gallery or to a museum or reading a book, constantly trying to, I suppose, enrich my life yeah. rather than appreciating the fact that actually in order to be on my best form, I needed to take time to switch off yeah. and to let everything settle and recalibrate. Yeah interesting do you think it was because you were still trying to hide from the fact that you didn't have that life you were expecting with being in the military you're still kind of like searching looking around for like what's that thing that's going to fulfill me I think so I I was really fortunate to land a job at a great company so I I ended up at Deliveroo in operations but it very definitely started off as a job it wasn't something I worked incredibly hard and everything that I did was I always gave it my best probably detrimentally to my health overall but it was a job it wasn't something that I felt really really wedded to and invested in yeah. and in all fairness over time I was incredibly fortunate that that evolved into a career and something that I actually was much more passionate about. Yeah. But at the time, I think it was my way of searching for what comes next. Where do I go from here? Yeah. So interesting. And and ironically, I have a delivery addiction. Oh, really? So talking about <laughs> galleries, <laughs> I can't get away from it. It's probably you, why I need to leave London. Do you have the subscription? Uh, I actually don't. I'm not that bad. Because you, what, is that when you get free delivery? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was what I looked after as my last job what before I left. Uh, yeah. Where are you now, by the way? A company called Palantir. Okay. What is so that? They're, a, they're a data um, 
platform company. So they predominantly help companies um, make better business decisions based on the data that they have. Okay, all right, nice. They started off um, focused on US government work, nice. um, but have since expanded into commercial stuff too. Okay, cool. So, all right, just to go back into a little bit of your story, then, mm. I think it's interesting you're talking about how you cover these things up and while you're looking and searching for meaning in your life, you, you end up down various avenues, some positive, some negative. But I think that's relatable to a lot of people when you have injuries um, in sport, for example. It's the same thing, right? People have retirement from various different injuries. So it's really interesting to hear how you coped with that. But obviously that led to such an amazing thing. And it's interesting, just as you were explaining what you were doing, our friend who we spoke about, Nathan Jones, is just, oh, no way. he just crept, <laughs> crept past. Um, but you were, yeah, so you were a part of the incredible Team GB Invictus Games. Yeah, I was incredibly fortunate to have the chance to compete in Orlando uh, in 2016. And that actually came about because while I was still in the Navy, one of my very good friends from some of my rehab that I went through while I was still in the Navy competed in London at the very first games and I remember watching it and thinking to myself that's amazing I would love to have that opportunity (laughs) and Orlando was the next one that came up and it was at that point I just started at Deliveroo but I was still very unsure about where I was going in life and I was training but I wasn't really training for anything I was still in this like quagmire of semi what I thought was kind of semi-obsessive about food and nutrition and training and Invictus was so good for me it gave me a head mark and it gave me something to train for and because I I competed in swimming and it was something that I knew from being a swimmer when I was younger that I could go into the gym or into the pool and I could go... I didn't have to invest a huge amount of emotional input and thought into what I was doing in training. Mm. But by being consistent with that routine and with that training, I began to see improvements in my times or in my strength. And those day-to-day victories that I got in the pool or in the gym carried over into my civilian life and in my working life and made me realize that I didn't need to be defined by what I couldn't do, which was how I had perceived the impact of my injury on my working career as well. And that actually those incremental improvements gave me the confidence to to kind of break out of that box of being defined by my injury and to move forward and to say, actually, I'm not, Zoe Williams who can't do x y and z because I'm injured I can go and have this career and compete in relatively high level competitive sport which was something that I hadn't been able to do for six or seven years because I had thought that I was injured and that I couldn't do sport anymore and that for me was a real turning point where I realized I didn't have to be defined by that And I think the other thing that Invictus gave me was being surrounded by people who had the most incredible stories. Mm. So inspiring. And the 
candidness that they were prepared to speak about their challenges and their battles and the amazing thing about Invictus is it's about your journey it's about your recovery and they were talking so openly about predominantly mental health problems but physical problems as well and it made me realize that actually I shouldn't be ashamed to go and say I have this problem I can't switch off I can't not be doing something I need to constantly be achieving or going to a gallery or a museum or whatever it was and so when I came back from Orlando was the point at which I went and found a really incredible service the London Veteran Service and they really really helped me to actually listen to my body and listen to my mind and find a little part of me that allowed myself to just switch off and to accept that it was okay not to be on the go the entire time. Wow. What did they suggest? Because it's something that, something I suffer with a lot as well. And I know a lot of people that I know, people who are high achievers, people who are striving to be better every day, build businesses and, and, and leave these legacies. It's something that people suffer with a lot, I think, who find it difficult to switch off. So what was the kind of advice that they gave and what practices did you implement into your life to, to try and get better at it? It's something that I still struggle with. Um, even this weekend, I was getting really, really twitchy. I wanted to be, I was waiting for something to start, but I wasn't at home. I couldn't be getting on with the piles of laundry that I knew I had mm. and all of, all of these little things. But I think in terms of really tangible piece of advice that has stuck with me are just recognizing when your body and your mind is telling you that it's tired and it wants to switch off. And that's something that is is really hard to do. But if you find yourself sat on the sofa or opening your laptop and just getting up Netflix or whatever it is, actually the fact that you've got that far is enough of a signal to your body that maybe you do just need half an hour or an hour to to switch off and I think we're probably people that perhaps again we're we're obsessive or we're compulsive and there is a slippery slope line of well if you start watching one episode does that mean you're going to watch the entire series (laughs) I'm about to do that with Stranger Things are you (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I found personally what worked for me is building a bit of a routine around it so at the beginning of this year I said to myself Wednesday night is going to be my night where I just take time for myself I don't have anything social scheduled I will go to the theatre or I'll go out for dinner on my own or I'll just sit at home and read interesting or I'll do some colouring and just knowing that that's in my calendar And I told my boyfriend that, and I've told friends that Wednesday night is my night. Why Wednesday? Out of interest. It happened to be because it was a day that was not a day when I had been going to train in the gym. Um, Actually, since I've run the marathon, I haven't been training in the Hmm. gym anywhere near as much. (laughs) Uh, Casually drop in that you've just done the marathon. (laughs) (laughs) But... Um, 
yeah, it was it was just the night that was generally most free. Okay, and also um, I, I want to know. So it's always on your own. Usually. On the whole, yeah, it's on my own. Yeah. So I just uh, I just wrote a blog post about this. Is that the thing that stopped me always being on was I recently went to LA to record some podcast episodes actually, and I landed. I didn't have any hotels booked. I went solo as well, so I wasn't with anyone. I would freak out if I didn't have <laughs> um, a hotel. <laughs> I didn't, so I landed in LAX, had nothing booked. Wow. Uh, I didn't have anything booked the entire week. All I knew is I had the location, so LA, um, San Diego, and then Tampa over a 10-day stretch. So it was the most empowering thing that I've done, and I'm now going to do it every year because it just allowed me to realize, again, it's that mindset shift where I was in the pattern where every single day I had to be somewhere doing something, yeah. and that just broke that for me and it allowed me to remember that, oh, I can actually just do whatever I want. Like, I'm not being controlled by either a job or a place I need to be or even this podcast making me put episodes out. I'm choosing to do it, um, and I'm also choosing that I can be here whenever I want, I can be there whenever I want, and that gave me the flexibility to or that flexibility gave me the chance to like reset my mind. So I just find it interesting. You said the same thing as a Wednesday night, but it's all usually on your own. So you can have time to yourself in your own thoughts. Yeah. Did you also, did it make you realize that you're so self-sufficient and resilient and you don't need to have that structure that you can actually find what you need to find so you can find yourself a hotel you can book travel you don't need it all planned in advance yeah and it was yeah like so the first place that i found was in west hollywood and i just booked two nights because i was like do you know what i'm tired tonight i've just landed here i'll have this one i'll book another one um and i forgot to book the third one <laughs> so on the second night afterwards they called up the room like you need to get out like we're fully booked in here tonight i was like oh fuck but it's not hard I packed my bag yeah. I rolled my bag down the street and I just got another hotel yeah. but it's interesting you say that because one of the things I suffered with and that kind of led to the podcast and led to a lot of the self-discovery stuff that I've done is because when I first moved back from I lived in America for a period of time playing football when I first moved back I had chronic fatigue so that really really wired my brain to think negatively about the things that I could do it shifted my kind of perception of who I was and my identity and it it, it gave my confidence a hammer in so it's really I'm really relating to your story about how you suddenly start to think with your injury that you couldn't do the things that you used to be able to do but then something changed and that thing allowed you to then go oh I, I am in control I can do whatever I want again yeah. So yeah massively like that's awesome yeah and for me that was Invictus and that was realizing that I could compete in sport and I could I could be an athlete again and I didn't have to be defined by my injury and that I shouldn't be ashamed of what has happened and what's yeah. gone in the past. Amazing. And the Invictus Games is, is no joke. It's the serious. <laughs> and I'm all right in thinking you got three golds. I did, Orlando. yes. So that's amazing. So can you talk us through, firstly, what you got your gold medals in and what the feeling was like getting just one and then, yeah, just talk us through that story. That'd be great. Sure. So I actually, slightly hazy memories. It's one of those really really surreal things that is just a bit of a pinch yourself Orlando was spectacular I think combine wounded injured and sick people in America where they love the military and they're predominantly veterans so they love you even more <laughs> in Disneyland ah oh, sold 
in May, it was so hot. Everything was outdoor. It was on a, I think it was called Sports World. And it, all of the venues no, were all in one place. The wide world of sport. Yeah. yeah. And they built a swimming pool outside, which was so cool. Um, and they've actually reused it. They've took it apart and ha- are now using it for Paralympic training somewhere, no which is really, yeah, really special. But it was, so it was the most incredible setup. And then because you all have similar shared experiences, yes, there's competition because we're all naturally competitive, but everyone supports everyone else. Mm. The rate, so we had training practices and there was one person, she and I were like pretty neck and neck. Um, and I knew it was going to be pretty close going into the finals. And I just knew I had to give it everything. I could leave nothing behind. And I think that was so empowering for me to give everything I had, absolutely everything. And more than winning or any other part of the experience, it was just proving that I could I could do yeah. that again and be an athlete. Would it have felt the same if you'd have got silver? I did get one silver. So you got three guards and one silver in one of Victor's games? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, but I think it, I mean, it was, inc- winning was so special, so, so special. I, I still, and I say this quite a lot, I still think what I got most from Invictus was actually not necessarily from the games themselves. It was the journey to get there. It was having those day-to-day victories, which made me realize and change my mindset from you can't do this, that, or the other to, oh, actually, I can do this. And Invictus is a gift that just keeps on giving. The the opportunities I've had from it, I've said yes to everything Mm -hmm. that's come my way. uh, And I couldn't be more grateful for all of the opportunities, but it, it really is the journey. And that's the overarching message about the Invictus Games is that it's the journey that people go on and their recoveries. It's not a purely about competing. Mm. It's about your recovery and how you use sport to move past your demons and overcome those things that have played you. Yeah. Whether that. those be physical or mental. Yeah. I love that so much. I think it's such a good message, which is why it's such a good setup. The whole Invictus Games is amazing. And I think that it's a great message for people in life, right? I mean, obviously people in the Invictus Games have had mostly more difficult challenges than the average person, but it's still the same thing, isn't it? it like you said, it's the journey, which is what we're here for, which again, takes us away from that. Like, let's get control of everything. Let's go, go, go all the time. That's another way to kind of like take your foot off the gas a little bit. Think about the journey, the process. Again, difficult to do, easy to say. Yeah, Um, you're quite right. And I I think you touched on it there is my overriding message and everything I've ever spoken about to do with the Invictus Games is that 
we're incredibly lucky as wounded, injured and sick military people that we have the opportunity to compete and to be supported along that journey. But I have always said that I, I, I use my experience and the ability for me to, to talk about what the Invictus Games has given me to try and inspire and empower people, whoever they are, whether they're veterans, whether they're related to people in the military, or whether they have absolutely no relation to the military whatsoever, whether they are wounded, injured, or sick, mm. or whether they just are having a tough time yeah. to say, actually, there are people that will help you. You you shouldn't feel defined or challenge. You shouldn't feel defined by your challenges. And there's always the opportunity to move past those and to move beyond those. And you can get there. And we're lucky that we have had that chance and that support through Invictus and through the Invictus Games Foundation, but that we should spread that message that anyone can overcome those challenges. Yeah, yeah. and you're doing that there. That's amazing. Thank you so much to... Mm military and non-military people listening. I think that's, I think that's brilliant. So we do the same three questions at the end of every episode. Quick fire questions to get advice so listeners can incorporate these things into their lives and hopefully improve their performance. So the first one is, is there anything you've discovered or come across recently that you're particularly excited about? So Why We Sleep, the book. Mm, Matthew Walker. It is indeed. I haven't read it, but I've heard good things. Incredible. I haven't actually finished it yet. Okay. It's quite a... It's pretty scientific, but I think if you're someone that trains a lot or works hard and doesn't think that sleep is important, go read it. Okay. Amazing. Biggest lesson you've taken away from it? Sleep more. (laughs) Sleep more. Okay. (laughs) Don't need to read it then. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to get another shout out. We've already mentioned him on the last episode. Oh, really? Nick Littlehales, this was, who is another sleep specialist. Okay. has a book called Sleep, which I highly recommend. You would love it. Okay. He has worked with some of the biggest athletes in the world um, and talks about his R90 technique, which is rest 90, which means that apparently we sleep in 90-minute um, yeah. periods, basically, which allow us to go in and out of light sleep to deep sleep. Yeah. So if you liked that one, I highly recommend that one afterwards, and he's a legend as well. I will listen to or, that. Yeah, you can listen to it on your Wednesday night. <laughs> so the second one of these three is... If you had to give a habit or routine to listeners to incorporate into their day, which is going to help them drive their performance, what would it be? Well, that's a really tough one. I would say listen to your body and know when it's time to rest. How can we be more aware of our body? How do we do it? Uh, Those little niggles that keep coming back in exactly the same spots they're trying to tell you something i am number one culprit for ignoring them plowing on sticking my head down doing the typical military Mm. thing and acknowledging them and giving them the respect that they need is so worth it especially when you get really frustrated when you can't train that the longer you put them off and the longer you ignore them and bury your head in the sand the more frustrated you're going to get because the recovery becomes longer and longer and longer. (laughs) Okay, that's a great one. It comes back to your Wednesday night, really, isn't it? If you give yourself that space, that respite, your awareness is going to be better with with your body anyway, right? Cool, so the last of these three is, imagine there's two versions of yourself. 
take yourself back to that time where let's go back to your injury right when you finally leave in the military take yourself back to that moment what's the key differentiator between the version of yourself who went on to have all the great success that you had you came through that dark patch you changed your mindset and you had all the success in the Invictus Games and beyond into your jobs now and the, the version of yourself who wouldn't have done all those things the difference is I the turning point was not being ashamed of asking for help. And it's taken a really long time for me to actually speak relatively openly about the fact that I did go and ask for help. Mm. And it's not something that actually I've really kind of talked directly to a lot of people about. Like even my family and friends, some of them know, but a lot of them don't really know in a huge amount of detail. But not being ashamed to go and do that. And even if it means that you keep it to yourself for as long as you need to keep to yourself until you feel comfortable talking about it, don't be afraid to stick your head above the parapet and look out for yourself. At the end of the day, you're number one and the people that really matter to you will support you at the point at which you feel comfortable telling them what you need from them but also how they can help you yeah amazing such good advice and again something that's so hard to do but you've got to be brave and just do it i think even the other day i was having a bit of a tough time and i wanted to speak to someone about it i rang my mum, i rang my grandma i rang my dad but they just kind of expect it to be a normal conversation so at some point you just got to like keep the door down and say guys i just wanted to speak to this or can you just listen to me for a second about this like which is a difficult thing to do, but I think that's amazing advice. Yeah, find that find that one person that will give you the ear that you need, I think is the biggest thing for me is knowing, and actually it's probably not someone that you necessarily expect yeah. to fill that role, but there will be someone who will answer the phone and will be prepared to listen to you yeah. and will just give you... I think often it's just giving you that ear and support. Who was yours? Um, so one of my one of my kind of close navy friends, um, and a lot of it's been tangential in a way, but it's just knowing that I can can kind of go and bounce ideas around and yeah, amazing. Just vent. Yeah, should we say? <laughs> I love how. We're trying to have this deep, meaningful chat, and then yeah. we have some serious da- dance music <laughs> going on next door. Yeah, perfect timing. They're into the next but, um, workout. Yeah, look, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved talking to you. I didn't no. know what to expect, so I'm really, really no, pleased we got a chance. It's been my pleasure. Been I didn't great. know what to expect either. <laughs> yeah, but it's always amazing. I think what yeah. you've done is incredible, and um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Have you got any other plans for future Invictus Games? No, so I'm actually involved. Um, as an ambassador for the UK team. Okay. So mentoring and supporting them. Nice. So supporting athletes that are going through their own journeys okay. and giving them support and helping them get the most from it. But then also helping the UK team with broader engagement with uh, sponsors and commercial partners. And then um, I'm involved with the Invictus Gamers Foundation as well. So we've just been playing in the softball league. Um, But I think it's just spreading that message that there is an entire community and there are so many people that 
that continue to need support in the veteran community, even though we're not necessarily active in in any war zones yeah. that are in the news. There are still so many people that that continue to need support. Yeah. It's not a problem that goes away. Amazing. All you're doing is brilliant. So keep it up. And thanks so much. No, thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. Cheers. Great. So there it is, guys. I hope you really enjoyed that. What a great episode. What a great message. And what a lovely person. Zoe had some awesome advice to share and I hope people can take some positives away from that and incorporate them into their own lives. I particularly enjoyed hearing about the importance that Zoe places on rest and recovery. It's something that high achievers rarely consider. We know how important it is but we always want to be doing the next thing and we always want to be achieving or growing in a particular area. But it is so important and maybe incorporating something like those quiet Wednesday nights where you get to get back in touch with yourself is so important. So thanks so much to Zoe for sharing that. Thank you so much to the legends at Manor. Again, we've got a further three episodes coming. The next one is an unbelievable chat with an amazing person called the Magic Marine. Not his real name. You'll learn all about his real name and why he's now the Magic Marine next week. I'm sat here on a Sunday morning. It is 10.24. I usually post the episodes every Sunday at 11 a.m. And I'm cutting it very fine. I don't think it's going to be up at 11 because my Wi-Fi is horrendous. The challenge of doing a weekly episode is taking its toll. I'm going to try and do the Magic Marine episode early next week and get it prepped one of the midweek evenings and get it done and uploaded so I don't have this issue again next Sunday. It definitely feels like I'm juggling chainsaws at the minute, but I'm still loving putting them out. I hope you guys are continuing to enjoy hearing the chats and the conversations and the stories. And until next time, stay positive, stay motivated and take flight.